So, it's Wednesday, August 9th. We're already in August. Can you believe it? Fall is almost here. As we talked about Sunday, Christmas decorations are going to be coming soon. Uh, But it is truly a blessing, as always, to be with everyone here. And saints, it's truly something that I just pray that we never stop cherishing, which is the gift to come together in his word. That we never stop cherishing that and that we just come with that heart of gratitude. That we can have gratitude for the God of creation. We can have gratitude that he's in control. We can have gratitude that he's sovereign. We can have gratitude that he preserved this for us. That we can study it. That we can be in it. Gratitude that he gives us the Holy Spirit to dwell within us. To teach us. To refine us. To convict us. To help us grow. And in that I just pray that we continue to pray that people come to know Jesus. And I pray also that we continue to pray for those that right now while we're freely sitting here, not worried that we're going to possibly get killed or arrested for gathering to read the word of God, that we keep in prayer those who do face that persecution, who do face those trials for coming to God's word. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, we do pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who are not able to just freely come to you, Lord. Even in this moment, we lift them up, Lord, that is facing persecution right now, Lord. We pray that the Holy Spirit fill them and give them the endurance to endure what is before them, Lord. And we just thank you, Lord, that we have your word. We thank you that we have the eternal promise of being with you forever. Lord, help us to never... Cease giving praise and thanksgiving to you, the God of creation. Thank you for the time that we can pause right now from the week and focus on you. Holy Spirit, enable me with your power to deliver your word to your people. I'm out of the way. And that we turn off the distractions of the week and focus solely on you for this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week we studied Psalm 6. And we're going to do our temperature check. How was your health this last week? And if we think about that, I'm asking that because was faith or feelings your thermometer for this last week? Do you take your temperature by how you feel in the suffering or trials? Or are you taking it in your faith in the character of God? And this is an area where we can check in and there's little things, little moments that can come up, but the little things add up. It's like when I used to be in boarding school and would tell the guys, you got to make your bed, you got to tidy this, you got to fold that. The little trials that we have, how do you face those too? Because it all builds up, it all adds up. And we need to be anchored in the evidence of who he is. We need to be anchored in that and that alone. Because when we anchor in the emotions, when we anchor in the feelings, that's when we start saying, I feel this or I think this. And we end up with demise that hurts ourselves or others. So again, faith or feelings. Other thing that we pondered from last week, what verse or verses did you hide in your heart this last week? That you could stand in the suffering that you would not sin against our faithful God? What did you hide in your heart? And I'm going to add something to that now. I pray that you pray, Lord, is there someone you want me to share this with? Is there someone you want me to tell about this verse that I've hidden in my heart for your glory, that they may come to know you? And lastly, how are you responding to the N-O, no Jesus crisis, in our nation and world? Remember, I said last week, it's not a mental health crisis that we have. That's what everybody's saying. It's an N.O. No Jesus crisis that we're having right now. Are you sharing your faith with others? Do you look to the culture and are you just thinking about, okay, let me look at the culture and figure out when the rapture is going to happen? Or are you busy about doing his work until he returns? We need to remember we live for him. And in the midst of living for him, there's going to be ups and downs. There's going to be trials and tribulations. James promises them to us. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. And you might be going through a trial right now. And the trials take different shapes. They come in different forms. They cause us pain. They cause us to slow down. They cause us to cry out to the Lord. They're all different. But what can be consistent with every single one of them? 
is that we can have a consistent peace and enduring if we approach it with the heart behind saying, Oh Lord. And tonight we're going to be in Psalm 7. And the title of the message is entitled, The Heart of an O Lord. Psalm 7 is another lament psalm. And when we look at this psalm, it's often that it focuses on the accusations that are going and what's happening. And we're going to do that. But I also want us really being mindful of the heart behind the prayers. Because we need to get our heart in tune with how we go before our king. How we say, oh, Lord. So when we read the title of the psalm, first we see a meditation of David. A meditation of David. The Hebrew word here is shagayon. And the only other time we see this word in scripture is in Habakkuk 3.1. It's the only time we see it there and we see it here. And in both cases, it is pointing to a passionate psalm with strong emotion. Some believe it's pointing to the idea of wandering, crying and wandering. From both of those sets of words, it brings us to a place where we get to thinking about the core meaning of what it means to say, Oh, Lord. Recall last week when we looked at O Lord, we saw and we thought about that O in and of itself, that vowel, the emotion that comes behind that. That we can't just gloss over it. It's something guilty as charged. Normally when I'd read it, I'd just be, oh Lord, okay, keep going. But think about that. It's not just saying Lord. Oh, Lord. And the Lord, L-O-R-D, personal Lord. From the title, we also see that this is saying... To the Lord by David. And again, a reminder, when we see the same person coming up in Scripture, it's an opportunity to study their pursuance of the Lord. And in that, it challenges us to say, okay, let me look at their example. Where are they consistent? Where are they inconsistent? Where am I consistent? Where am I inconsistent? Now, we get the specific timing in this case. As we look at the title, which he sang to the Lord concerning the words of Cush, a Benjamite. So this is being sung based on words coming from Cush, a Benjamite. Who is this Cush? When did this exactly happen? As we dive into scripture, as you look throughout, as I was trying to find, couldn't find this Cush. Because we don't have the exact reference within the Old Testament. Now there are some theologians who will point to this possibly being a, a bit of a reference to Shammai, which we saw the words that he brought to David when Absalom had him having to flee because of the rain. Others, where I personally fall, see this as just another man within Saul's camp that they would want to get Saul's approval, they would want to get the rewards from him, so whatever Saul's against, we're against. And again, it's a Benjamite that's the same tribe that Saul is coming from. So this is someone of his own people. And that conflict that we see just in the title, that conflict is hinted at. And we need to realize that within conflict, that's what happens. There's alliance within family. There's alliance within different culture or ethnic groups. If we look at our culture today, there's alliance on race, gender, sexuality, all these different things. Yet, for us who has the word of God, we have to look at conflict in the context of the word of God. What does that mean? As his children, we have to realize something that we can't forget. The gospel is the great equalizer. The gospel puts everyone all united on the same fact. We are all sinners needing redemption. And the only way that we can be redeemed is through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's that duality, again, that I talk about because it's either in Jesus or out of Jesus. It's either running a life for Jesus or running a life in bondage to the enemy. That's it. So when we look at that conflict like that, it just shifts a little bit for us in light of what we know with the whole word of God. So as we look at this conflict tonight, remember, there goes the disco light again. We are going to look at it in the context of the whole counsel of the word of God. Now, the conflict here is also the words now, it's someone coming against the individual. Someone slandering, saying bad things, false things about David. And it's a reminder to us in our happy digital age that as we look at this, 
everything that comes up in our lives, bring it to the Lord in prayer. Everything. And I say digital A's because far too often, if we think about it, when slander comes at people, a lot of it happens now on social media. And rather than battle and prayer, what do people do? Oh, I'm going to give my comment now. You think I'm going to one-up you. We get lost in this battle when we should go to the Lord in prayer. Why? Look at what we have. We've only done six psalms so far, and it's been proven time and time and time again. Only God can offer resolution and restoration anchored in this hope of eternity with him. Only he can. Now, again, in this psalm, we're going to see a hard, difficult, challenging situation that's turned into a song of worship. What does that mean for us? Worship is a weapon against our one enemy. And I encourage you, when the battle comes, when what feels like an attack against you personally comes, battle in prayer. And may that prayer be a worship song and sing out to the Lord. Look at verse 1. O Lord, my God. O Lord. Personal. The heart of an O Lord. Remember, it's personal here. And it's a pointing right away, right off the bat, to David's relationship with God. And then he says, my God. So it's, it's, it's a whammy within four words. Oh, Lord. Oh, my personal God. Oh, Lord. My God. He surrendered in four words to God as authority over all. The heart of an oh, Lord stands from a place knowing I am personally known by the God of creation the God of this world. The heart of an O Lord is able to say that because he's in constant relationship with God. Think back to the message that we did on Sunday. What does it mean to be a disciple of God? You're in communion with him 24-7. The heart of an O Lord takes the feelings of a moment and turns to faith, takes the emotion and doesn't suppress them, but pours them out to God looking unto the evidence of who he is. O Lord, my God, in you I put my trust. The heart of an O Lord has trust in God alone. It doesn't say, O Lord, my God, hang on, let me put a few hashtags, in you I sort of trust when I have time. No, O Lord, my God, in you I put my trust. The Hebrew there for trust is to flee for protection, make refuge, to seek or to take refuge. Literally, it was used to seek a tree's shade. Figuratively, it's the protection under God's wings. The heart of an old Lord, having trust in God alone, is seeking safety and refuge. And what does that safety and refuge do? It yields comfort and peace. What does that tell us? That all comes from one place, God. David starts this psalm in the midst of all these um, false accusations and slanders coming against him. He starts in a place of telling God who he is to him, saying he's personally his God. David puts himself under the authority of God. David then puts his trust in God for safety and security. When you cry out to God in the midst of a trial, or even in the midst maybe of someone saying something false about you, can you say the first half of this verse with all your heart, soul, and mind? Can you say, oh Lord, my God, in you I put my trust? Because far too often when people do bring false words against us, false accusations against us, we sadly can't say those words with full conviction. Because too many times we say, Lord, I trust you. But on the inside, you're thinking, okay, how am I going to handle this? How am I going to take care of this? How am I going to turn this around? How am I going to fix this? But in this case, he remains solely on the Lord. We like to make our plans for safety and refuge rather than rest in the plans of our Heavenly Father. David trusts the Lord here. He's all in. What about you? Amidst the attack, amidst the accusations, are you all in? When you see that post or that message from someone, and it isn't true about you, but you see it, are you all into going down that rabbit hole? Or do you rest 
in him. Now, another quick thing that we have to think about, brothers and sisters, before we go forward here, the digital age. Because with it, we have to realize we're too comfortable right now spewing words out in social media or writing a well-crafted email with frustrations and anger and all of these, let me give you the peace of my mind, the little keyboard typing. And oftentimes, then, when we even get face-to-face, we freeze. We can't even have a conversation. Our culture's lost the ability to do that because we're just busy with screen battles rather than conversations. We hide behind the screen. And then in some cases, we do say the words out loud. But either way, given seeing slander coming to God's child, and we're going to see more in this moment, we need to remember something. We have to pause, pray, and ponder. Pause, pray, and ponder before we speak or write something. Is what I'm going to say pointing to God? Is what I'm going to say helpful and bring glory to God? Is what I'm going to say really something that's my own baggage or self? Or am I reflecting truth and faith in the King? James 1, 19. James 1, 19. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So yes, we need to see that our trust is in God alone, in Christ alone. And yes, we need to be mindful of what comes out of our lips and what comes out of our mind through our fingertips. Verse 1 continues. Save me from all those who persecute me and deliver me. Save me. Deliver me. David feels pursued and hunted out from this attack and slander coming from Cush. And David links it, of course, to the conflict he's got going on with Saul. And David, in the midst of that, sees and seeks, God, save me. Because he's seeking that peace and comfort that only comes from God's saving grace and mercy. David seeks God to deliver him. That security that only comes from God's sovereign hands controlling all. Because there's a promise we have to know. God gives deliverance always. But the deliverance is going to come in his way. And it's going to look different. At times that deliverance is power through the Holy Spirit and the freedom and ability to adore what he gives. At times that deliverance is that he takes the situation away. At times that deliverance is that he takes us out of the situation. Sometimes unto being with him for eternity, unto death. There's deliverance guaranteed, but we have to respect the authority of God in what he chooses as his means of deliverance. The heart of an O Lord knows it isn't about getting exactly what I want from God as a genie, but it's about getting his sovereign will done. And the heart of an O Lord says, my trust is in God alone. My trust is in Christ alone. Verse 2. Lest they tear me like a lion, rending me in pieces while there is none to deliver. Now, David here gives the depths of his fear to the Lord in this moment. He is saying, they are trying to devour me. Think about David. The person who could protect his father's sheep is now saying, hey, I'm going to be like the sheep. And there's no one to protect me but you. There's none to deliver but God alone, Christ alone. The fear that he has here, he is now sensing and giving urgency in his prayer to God. And at times, we have to remember, God will allow in his sovereignty circumstances to give us a heart of urgency to seek him, a heart of urgency to be in his word, a heart of urgency to pray unto him. Sometimes that circumstance or situation that's going on and we say, oh my goodness, this is so horrible. And the Lord's like, this is what needs to happen because I need them to urgently come to me. And it may even be unto salvation. So for you, who do you seek when that urgency comes, when that circumstance that puts urgency, who do you seek? And for ourselves, we need to be realistic because we can get lost, particularly with social media world and our digital age, we can get lost in making it about people. This person, this person, this person, this person. This is who we need to be mindful of. First Peter 4, sorry, 5, 8. Be sober, be vigilant, 
because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. We have one enemy, one enemy. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who has called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, notice that there's still that suffering, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. And we're going to see that happen as we work through this psalm. We've seen it in other ones that we looked. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. For us who have the whole counsel of the word of God, when we look at this, we can't look at the Psalms without that context for the application. Because for us with the entire counsel of God's word, we've got one enemy. And we have to remember that through Christ, we will be perfected, established, strengthened, and settled in those moments of accusation. In those moments of false accusation. So the accusations, they're going to come. False accusations, guess what? They're going to come. And what we need to do is go as David did. Oh Lord, my God, in you I put my trust. God alone. Christ alone. Verse 3. O Lord, my God, if I have done this, if there is iniquity in my hands, if I have repaid evil to him who was at peace with me or have plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue me and overtake me. Yes, let him trample my life to the earth and lay my honor in the dust. Selah. Now that Selah, we've talked about that before. That's that pause. And what does David pause to reflect upon here? He pauses to reflect upon his perfect sinless state. No, that's not what he's saying here. But he is pausing to say, in this instance, in the case right now, with this particular accusation, which we see in verse 4, his innocence. David is accused by Cush, ultimately Saul, of paying evil, taking spoils which rightly belong to the king, repaying evil for good. Mind you, this is the same David who in 1 Samuel 24 and then again in 26 had two opportunities to kill Saul and didn't do it. David wasn't seeking a personal revenge plan against Saul. And in this moment, David proclaims his innocence while simultaneously praying a bold prayer, showing the heart of his confidence in his innocence with this particular accusation. Now I focus on those words, this particular accusation because you could misread this and think that David's saying, I'm perfect, I'm sinless, I have no mistakes. He's focused on this one thing. Remember, we take scripture in context. We take what's before, what's after, what's the context of his life. And if we think about other Psalms we've seen and we've looked at, we know David knows in others repentance. And he knows how to say, yeah, I, I, I messed up. In this particular case, though, there's innocence. And this is an important lesson because when one is consistent with the Lord in repentance and moments of missing the mark, it is even that much easier to go before him when the darts that are being thrown have no truth or validity. And in both cases, he already knows all. And on Sunday, we saw what does Jesus ask when they're following him? What do you seek? And guess what? That's the same question he's asking before we go to him. Oh Lord, he's asking, what do you seek? See the web of how the scripture he's putting before you ties together. The heart of an O Lord goes to God ready to honestly share what they seek. And here David is honestly sharing, vindicate me, Lord. I'm innocent of this accusation. And then there's a bold prayer here that he goes through. If I have repaid evil to him who was at peace with me or have plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue me and overtake me. Yes, let him trample my life to the earth and lay my honor in the dust. Selah. This is a bold prayer. He's saying, if I'm guilty, let them have their way of total destruction of my life and being. He starts this psalm with trust in God and now he's pleading for his innocence. He's saying, if there's iniquity in my hands, if I've repaid evil, if the accusations they say are true, then in that case, let them pursue me, let them hunt me down, let them overtake me, let them trample me, my life to the earth, put it in the dust, the dust that I began in. That's what he's saying. 
Lord, I trust you. Lord, I'm innocent. As such, Lord, verse 6, arise, O Lord, in your anger. So now David is showing us here with his view and relationship of God, he sees human-like emotions from God. He's saying, God, arise in your anger. Lift yourself up because of the rage of my enemies. Rise up for me to the judgment you have commanded. Arise, lift yourself up, rise up. Imagery pointing to God high above his enemies. God rising over the attacks and the slander. Think about who David is, a man with armies at his disposal, a man who can fight the battle himself. But he turns it unto the God of creation because the heart of an O Lord places it in the hands of God. He's pleading, arise, lift up, rise up. Verse 7, so the congregation of the peoples shall surround you. For their sakes, therefore, return on high. Act, God, that they can be dealt with. Take it, Lord, is what he's saying. Now, this is not license for us to then think that we can just say, you're crushed in the name of Jesus. You're crushed. You're defeated. You're this. No, this is license for us to surrender and leave it all, whatever the circumstances we face. In this case, the application of people saying false things to us, leave it in the hands of God. Let him deal with it. And in that, when we leave it, it's going to feel like it's crushed. It's going to feel like it's done because we know God is dealing with it. Context of the whole counsel of the word, we know he's dealing with it from a place of eternal victory. So to say in you, I put my trust, for us has even a deeper meaning because we're putting trust in every piece of truth in this word and we're guaranteed victory because we have that eternal victory. David's lifting up, but David has not had the bridge yet of Jesus that we have. But David lifts it all up to a God with a heart that trusts God to act as God wills in the situation. And he knows in this case his innocence, and he knows God will work for his glory, and God will also work it for his own well-being. Verse 8. The Lord shall judge the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to my integrity within me. Now he's reminding himself and he's reminding as we read this, God will judge. And in that judgment, he says, God, judge me. David invites God's judgment and correction on himself in this moment. And he's praying for the protection through receiving and embracing God's judgment and correction. Again, this isn't David saying, Lord, I'm perfect. No, he's saying, Lord, based on whatever good you can find in me, search me, protect me. In the midst of a trial, can you pray that to the Lord? Do you pray that to the Lord? Search me, Lord. Judge me, Lord. Chasten me, Lord. David knew his stance before the Lord, and he rests on God handling the situation, not himself. What about us? What do we do? Those posts keep coming. They keep saying things about you that aren't true. Maybe it's a coworker that has an in with the boss because they actually were friends with the boss before you started working there. They're telling the boss all these things about you that's not true. Maybe someone's telling you discouraging or false things about a new chapter of your life. I remember when we got married, the thing we would hear from so many people, oh, you guys are so cute. The honeymoon phase is going to end. Those are seeds that we didn't need. And again, that's a little one, but how we handled it prepared us for bigger ones that will come. Perhaps it's a game of phone tag where people are telephone, that old game that you would play at the birthday parties, and it turns to a gossip circle. Is it a post? Is it a person? Is it a call? Is it a situation where the attacks that they're saying just ain't true? What do you do? How do you handle that? And if it's coming and it's pouring on, it's pouring on, do you start thinking, God, you're taking too long? God, you're not answering me. This is getting worse. God, you're not moving fast enough. I'll handle it. That's what our flesh does. We say, I'll handle it. And when we say we'll handle it, we're saying to God, vengeance is mine. That's what we say when we take the reins there. And David knew that it wasn't his to take. And we have to know it isn't ours to take. 
We're going to look at one portrait in David's life where he learned this. It's a little longer, but we're going to have story time within the message. Turn with me to 1 Samuel 25. And I'm going to start in chapter 2. I mean, verse 2, not chapter 2. Now, there was a man in Mon whose business was in Carmel, and the man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. The name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife, Abigail. And she was a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance, but the man was harsh and evil in his doings. He was of the house of Caleb. When David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep, David sent young men. So again, David right now, he'd been protecting the sheep and the flocks from the Philistines, and he's waiting for a right time with what he's going to do, his request, which is the shearing. And David said to the young men, go up to Carmel, go to Nabal, and greet him in my name. And thus you shall say to him who lives in prosperity, peace be to you, peace to your house, and peace to all that you have. Now I have heard that you have shearers. Your shepherds were with us, and we did not hurt them, nor was there anything missing from them all the while they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. So he's waiting for the right timing, and he's saying to them, it's a feast day. We're generous. We're generous at this time. Please give whatever comes to your hand to your servants and to your son, David. So when David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to all these words in the name of David and waited. Then Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David and who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants nowadays who break away each one from his master. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers and give it to men when I do not know where they are from? So David's young men turned on their heels and went back, and they came and told him all these words. Then David said to his men, every man gird on his sword. So every man girded on his sword, and David also girded on his sword, and about 400 men went with David, and 200 stayed with the supplies. Now one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, look, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he reviled them. But the men were very good to us, and we were not hurt, nor did we miss anything, as long as we accompanied them when we were in the fields. They were a wall to us both by night and day, all the time we were with them, keeping the sheep. Now, therefore, know and consider what you will do, for harm is determined against our master and against all his household, for he is such a scoundrel that one cannot speak to him. David's doing his own plan to take control, but look what's going behind the scenes. God has something taking place already. We might, in that moment, say, nothing's happening, I'm going to take control. But he's actually sovereign and knows what he's doing. Verse 18, Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five sheep already dressed, five seahs of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins, and 200 cakes of figs, and loaded them on donkeys. And she said to her servants, Go on before me. See, I am coming after you. But she did not tell her husband, Nabal. So it was, as she rode on the donkey, that she went down under cover of the hill, and there were David and his men coming down toward her, and she met them. Now David had said, Surely in vain I have protected all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belongs to him, and he repaid me evil for good. May God do so, and more also to the enemies of David, if I leave one male of all who belong to him by morning light. Taking charge on his own. Now, when Abigail saw David, she dismounted quickly from the donkey, fell on her face before David, and bowed down to the ground. So she fell at his feet and said, On me, my Lord, on me let this iniquity be. And please let your maidservant speak in your ear and hear the words of your maidservant. Please let not, my Lord, regard this scoundrel Nabal. For as his name is, so is he. Nabal, and the name literally means fool, is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now, therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, since the Lord has held you back from coming to bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek harm for my Lord be as Nabal. And now this present which your maidservant has brought to my Lord, let it be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespasses of your maidservant, for the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house because my Lord fights the battles of the Lord and evil is not found in you throughout your days. 
She gives him affirmation in this moment. Yet a man has risen to pursue you and seek your life, but the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God, and the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the pocket of a sling. And it shall come to pass when the Lord has done for my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you ruler over Israel, that this will be no grief to you nor offense of heart to my Lord, either that you have shed blood without cause or that my Lord has avenged himself. But when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. Then David said to Abigail, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me. And blessed is your advice. And blessed are you because you have kept me this day from coming to bloodshed and from avenging myself with my own hand. For indeed, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has kept me from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, surely by morning light no males would have been left to Nabal. So David received from her hand what she had brought him and said to her, Go up in peace to your house. See, I have heeded your voice and respected your son. So when hurt comes, when that thing comes, it doesn't mean we have the right to get justice on our own. And when we look, 36, Now Abigail went to Nabal, and there he was, holding a feast in his house, like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. Therefore she told him nothing, little or much, until morning light. So it was in the morning when he Uh, When the wine had gone from Nabal and his wife had told him these things, that his heart died within him and he became like a stone. Then it happened after about 10 days that the Lord struck Nabal and he died. David has encountered experiences that remind him, I don't have to take control on my own. Now we could do a whole thing on that and then on Abigail's role as a woman and Nabal as a husband, but we won't go there right now. For the focus right now, when it's unfair... When we feel that it's unfair, which he could, you could argue, that was really unfair for David. Yeah, go get him, man. Get even. No, still, vengeance is God's. It is not ours to take. And from that experience, from other experiences, David would know, I need to leave this in the Lord's hand. Paul gives it to us differently in Romans 12. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head, because that is going to bring such conviction. How can you keep being nice to me? I hate you. Why are you being nice? God is my savior. Here, take this, have this. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Hitting the message over the head, leave it to God. God alone, Christ alone. Verse 9. Oh, let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just. For the righteous God tests the hearts and minds. David wants the wickedness to end. Protection for the just, his kids. And he wants protection. And he is ensured what we've seen already. The difference. Wicked, godly. That duality. We've seen it in the Psalms. And in this verse 9, he ends with a reminder of the character of God. We saw David look at that in other Psalms. The character that he is righteous. The character that he tests the heart and minds. In there, in some translations, you'll see the heart and reins. It's the inner being of the person. And guess what? God is still doing that till this day. I quote several times Hebrews 4.12 where we're reminded that the word discerns our thoughts and the intents of our heart. It goes to the joint and marrow. It goes to the depth of us. Before we speak it or write it in the digital age, test it against the word of God. Verse 10. My defense is of God who saves the upright in her heart. God is a just judge, and God is angry with the wicked every day. Clear and to the point he is here. God is his defense. God is his shield. And guess what? For us who receive and believe his children, he's a shield. And guess what else he says? God is a just judge. 
David, once again, we see, is taking the feelings and emotions of the moment and he's turning it to focus on the faithful character of God. God is a just judge. Now, that's a fact that we struggle with today. We struggle because our culture has a gospel that says God is love. That is true. God is love. And it says also that God is love, so God loves you as you are. That is also true. God does love you as you are. And in that love, he wants you to be a new creation. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. What does that mean? Yeah, come. He loves you. He loves you as you are. And then he's going to change you. And you're going to be new for his glory. But that's neglected. We just say, God is love, period. God is mercy, great. God is warm. God is generous. He loves you. Stay as you are. And then we end up with what we saw at Duke Divinity this past spring, where we had someone saying from a pulpit, a woman, good morning, the holy and queer one be with you. From the lips of a woman, then giving pronouns, she, they, for a pride worship collaboration. We have to stay rooted in the fact God is a just judge. And in his justice, he can't ignore the crime of sin. Every knee is going to bow. If there's a crime, we don't want our legal system. We would want the judges to handle the crimes, true or false. True. Why do we not then accept God's just judgment and love in that he provides an escape from that judgment through his son, Jesus? Verse 12, he points to that. If he does not turn back, he will sharpen his sword. He bends his arrow and makes it ready. He also prepares for himself instruments of death. He makes his arrows into fiery shafts. David's defense is God, and in knowing, he tests the minds and hearts. David's ready for God to have his enemies exposed and stopped. He's leaving it to God. Look at what he says of how he's getting ready. He is painting the picture of warrior lord. He's getting his, sharpening his sword. He's getting ready. He's ready for battle for his kids. David isn't asking for special treatment here. That's not what's happening. He's doing what we all have to do. He's leaving it to our warrior king. But notice what he says before he goes there. The beginning of verse 12. If he does not turn back, guess what? God judging sin. God Hating sin. People can be concerned when they hear that. God is love. Jesus came. There's no hating sin, folks. Let's be real. God hates sin. And he hates sin so much and loves his created people so much that he put the entire wrath of sin on his son Jesus for us. And that's why he says here, we have here, if he does not turn back, continual desire of God, my people, repent. And it's that desire, receive for us with the whole council or reject. And if rejection comes, the warrior Lord will deal with it. David knew this, and for us with the entire counsel of the word, we need to be praying for those that are showing rejection to come to that place of repentance. Because there's only two options. It's not harsh talk, it's just the truth. Now in this case, David knows that the false accusations, the one with no repentance, God's going to deal with the vengeance. Why? God is a just judge. We leave it to him. So we leave it to him. We see no action, right? Because you take the application. You're like, okay, Pastor Vince, I'm going to go with that. Nothing's happening. Why isn't God doing anything? Why isn't God torturing them? Why isn't the warrior Lord doing something? Whole counsel of the word of God. He's sovereign, and in his sovereignty, he extends mercy. Mercy we don't deserve. Mercy we can't take advantage of as a believer because he's going to give us that mercy. But for that person that he's saying, I really, come on, come on, receive the gift of my salvation, he's going to give mercy. So when you're wanting that vengeance to be done, Lord, why aren't you dealing with this? There, it's lies against me. Stop it. Get on your knees and pray for their repentance. Pray for their salvation. Pray they would search their hearts and look within. Pray that they would see verse 14. Behold, the wicked brings forth iniquity. Yes, he conceives trouble and brings forth falsehood. David now looks to the traits and character of the wicked juxtaposed with the faithful character of God. What do the wicked do? They bring forth iniquity. They conceive trouble. They conceive falsehood. David, this is a song he's singing, sings a portrait of sin and birth. 
Think of birth. A child is conceived. A child grows in the womb. The child birth occurs. A life is there. The wicked conceive sin within their being. They give birth to the sin. They live a life of sin. Birth is a long journey. That journey, the mother and the baby in the womb, they get close. A bond is formed even in that womb. Guess what happens with sin? As it's festering and brewing in us, a bond is built with that sin. And that's where we say, it's who I am. Because we've clung to it so much. And as sin gives birth, it looks good partaking with it. We enjoy it. We live for it. It's a powerful picture David gives portraying the sin journey as one of birth. And it reminds it can be difficult to let go of that sin. Further reason why we need to pray. Further reason why we need to pray for our youth who are in a culture right now that all the things that are sin are green light go. Similarly, it's a question that we also have to ask ourselves. What are you conceiving within yourself right now? What are you giving birth to right now? Because again, when we read these verses, we can't put ourselves on moral high ground. We do that too much as believers. We say, oh, well, look at this. Those sinners are going to get it. I'm, I'm, I'm in Bible study. I'm good. No, interrogate yourself. Have the Lord search your heart. What are you conceiving? What is within you that's got to go? Verse 15, he made a pit and dug it out and has fallen into the ditch which he made. His trouble shall return upon his own head and his violent dealing shall come down on his own crown. The plans the wicked try for David are going to fall right back on them. And that's what happens. What did Pharaoh want to do? All the male babies drown in the Nile. What happened to his army? They drown in the Red Sea. Haman hated Mordecai. Haman builds that 75-foot gallow. He's going down. Who gets killed at the 75-foot gallow? Haman. Nabal. We saw what happened there. All of these different things remind us that in the accusations that come, in the trials, we have to surrender the fate to the Lord. More depth to those words, I surrender. The futility of unrepentant evil men, once again in this showing, you reap what you sow. So what does that mean for us? Can we just live thinking God's going to get even? What goes around comes around. No, that's not what I'm saying. Don't go down that road. Remember Romans 12, repay no evil. Feed them, love them, show them the love of Christ. Be the bridge to salvation. The heart of an O Lord in light of the cross lays it all at the foot of Jesus and prays for their salvation, prays for opportunities to love on them. In the meantime, in the waiting, in the praying, what did David do? What do we see him do? He goes to God. He puts all his trust in him. He trusts that he will deliver. He trusts that he will save him. He shares the urgency of what is going on. He points to his character. And then he says, God, search my character if there's any wrongdoings. That's what we need to do. And if there are, repent and change it. He calls upon God to act on his behalf, knowing I'm calling upon the faithful judge, knowing that judgment day is going to come. Pray for their salvation. That's what we need to be doing. What are we called to be? Ambassadors for the ministry of reconciliation. What should our prayer be when false accusations come? Lord, help them be reconciled unto you. And Lord, if they repent, great. And Lord, if they don't repent, great. Because you're in control, you're sovereign, I am not the Christ. And then we're getting near the end, don't worry. And what does the heart of an O Lord ultimately do? Because if we look at this, as we've seen in other Psalms of David's plights, we don't see in here that David then says, and everything was picture perfect and fixed. Bam! No. Instead, we just see the faithfulness of resting in who God is, the faithfulness in trusting God. He rests in the fact, David, that God is the judge. And when he rests in the fact that God's just, when he rests in his justice, look what he can do in verse 17. I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord most high. He can praise the personal God. Why? He's righteous. Praise to the Lord Most High. Capital L-O-R-D, personal relationship. Most High, God's authority over all nations. The God of Israel isn't just a deity. He's ruler over all. Lord Most High, Yahweh Elion. The Jewish covenant name and the highest title for God. And us with the whole council, we have Jesus, the high priest by the order of Melchizedek. David praises God. And it's all about God alone. Why? Because God's righteous, God's good, God's perfect. 
The heart of an O Lord starts with gloom often, but look at how it ends, rejoicing in praise to God. For the heart of an O Lord faithfully brings the cause to God and faithfully surrenders it at the foot of the cross. And when we leave it at the cross, we can sing praise. He's righteous. His name is worthy of praise. He is the Lord most high. Vengeance is his. It's for him to take care of. So your ponder for this week. One, have you ever falsely accused or spoken ill of someone in your life? Maybe you were venting. Maybe you were gossiping. Maybe you were doing some posts. And do you need to seek forgiveness? That's a hard one. But go there. Do you need to seek forgiveness? Perhaps it's years ago, but this brings back a memory and you got to go and say, Holy Spirit, give me the power to go to this person. I was in church. We were in Psalm 7. I, fo- I, I am sorry for when I said that about you. That wasn't true. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Two, how do you handle false accusations that come against you? Is your trust in God alone, Christ alone? Or do you pray from lips with a heart seeking to control it and resolve it on your own? Lastly, do you have a heart that's David-like? Oh, Lord, my God, in you I put my trust. Trusting, honestly pleading, surrendering to God, leaving the trials of the false accusations in his hands, praying for salvation if it's needed, praying for conviction if it's needed, praying for growth and the Lord's will, that he would work it all to the good. And if you don't know the Lord Most High, that's a separate conversation. Talk to me after. But that's who we go to, the Lord Most High. That's who we serve. He is in control. Whatever comes against you, be it truthful accusations, false accusations, whatever the storm is, the Lord Most High is the one that we serve and the one in control. And that's where, again, We can say from Psalm 4, I will both lie down in peace and sleep for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the reminder that we need not seek vengeance on our own, Lord. That when hardships come, when false accusations come, when gossip comes, when lies come, when all these different things come, Lord, we can just look to you, we can surrender to you, and know you are in control, and in your sovereignty, you will deal with it all. Help us, Lord, to search our hearts if there are people we need to seek forgiveness from, Lord, where we have been guilty of these things, Father God that we could be a witness and testimony of living for you and letting your word bring conviction and repentance and seeking forgiveness, Lord. And Heavenly Father, only you know what's going on with everybody here, Lord, and, and who may feel that they're in a place of false accusation, Lord, that you, through this, give them the reminder the Spirit of the Lord dwells within you. God is in control, and we serve the Lord Most High. Leave it all to him, Lord. That's what we need to do. Leave it all to you. Thank you, Lord. Help us to grow closer to you. And Lord, I pray that you would help each and every single one of us to take these words, revisit them, that we continue taking the refiner's fire for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a beautiful night. Thank you for staying a little later.